Hello and welcome to the agenda. Today is Monday the 13th of March 2023 and I am your host Christopher Gallagher as we talk about uh, a great weekend of uh, Celtic uh, dominating life, um, smashing jambos, um, all the usual stuff that we love to see from the hoops. Um, God, what a weird intro. I try to do that thing when I'm like, oh, you just come up with it off the top of your head and then I start sounding a bit like, good time to smash the jambos. Shut, shut up. What an idiot. I'm Chris Gallagher and I've got my, my pals and we're going to talk about Celtic and it's going to be heavy class. Um, thank you for tuning into the agenda. Alan Edgar's here as always. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good, mate. Um, a couple of technical issues, which is the, so this is the, the second time that I'm introducing myself. Um, so slightly better than your intro, but just marginal. Marginal. Just marginal. Uh, Kieran Devlin's also here. Hello, Kieran. How are you, my friend? That's a jambo smasher. Eighteen eighty eight to you. Pal. Oh, love it. Uh, I really, I really struggled to. I sort of panicked and forgot what year Celtic were born. Uh, anyway, no, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good. I had a, I had a nice week, nice weekend. Well, the wet is absolutely pouring. Uh, it's absolutely miserable outside. But Celtic have won twice since we last spoke. You know they're doing they're doing well. They're smashing jambos. That's where is now is now our new tagline for the agenda. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, uh, I can't complain. Uh, I was in New York. You know, I rocked myself so much with that intro that I forgot to do the weather report. Uh, it's raining oh. here. That's on and off in regards to the the rains. The sun kind of wants to break through as well. So uh, yeah, it's it's not too bad. It's raining where you are, Kieran, as well. It is torrential. It's quite grim. Jesus. I wouldn't be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll wait and see if uh, Scott Rail does decide to cancel the trains or something, but hopefully not. Hopefully not. That'd be good. Hopefully not. I was in your first city yesterday, Kieran, uh, watching Celtic FC Women. Uh, we had some lunch, and uh, yeah, it's nice. It was nice and sunny, and it was a it was just a really nice day all round. Um, and obviously, Celtic FC Women won. Uh, what have you guys been up to this week, uh, Alan? We'll start with yourself. Anything interesting? Um, enjoyed Saturday. Um, I was out early morning for a haircut and then the jambo smashing began shortly thereafter um which was good i like to get my jambo smashing out of the way early on a saturday you know um i don't like it to kind of hang on too late so uh, it was nice to get that done and dusted by two and then you know yourself you both know what you do when you smash jambos you just think smash a couple of pints after it as well so um so i was out on saturday and then yesterday I, do you know i really did very little um i think i was over the door for a total of about 45 minutes which even then was a bit, bit much for my liking started to get a wee bit nervous back indoors into the castle hunkered down for the night and just watched some tv and listened to some podcasts and stuff it was actually quite nice so i'm um, ready to go now ready to go uh, Kieran, what'd you get up to this week, this week weekend? Uh, I went and had like a night out in London on the Friday. I've, I've started to become. I, I do quite enjoy the uh, the one nighters in London because I, I, I love trains. I love being on trains. I, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I just like whether you're working or reading or in the case of Saturday lunchtime, smashing jambo, watching jambo's <laughs> being smashed on a perfectly legal stream on my phone. Um, I was yeah. I, I had a great time. Had a really good night out with friends I haven't seen since like last summer on on the Friday, which is great. And then Sunday, a group of pals and some dogs went for a walk in East Lothian when it was a lovely day, very pretty. We had like a pub lunch and everything, and then came back and was knackered after getting like maybe like an hour and a half sleep on the Friday night. So. 
just was in, in bed, conked out at nine o'clock yesterday. So had a great, great, great weekend. Ideal weekend, actually. Good night out, Celtic winning, and a lovely walk in the pub lunch. Can't beat it. Cannot beat it. Great stuff. Uh, I played my dad at pool this weekend. I mean, he annihilated me. I was actually pretty embarrassed. Like genuinely, he got to the point where he started saying stuff like, "Do you want me to take my glasses off, or shall I? I can play with one hand behind my back if you want." Um, and it, it really dented my confidence. I think we did agree, Christopher, because you texted me this last week, and we did agree that the ultimate mark of disrespect that a dad can bestow upon you and pull is when they pot the black without looking, um, <laughs> as they look you dead in the eyes, um, just taking a highlight of confidence, which. It's character building, I think my dad would have described that as back in the day. Yeah, it's character building when you're 14. It's not character building when you're 40. And, you know, you you mm. feel every ball being potted is, like, uh, kind of chiseling away at your, you know, manhood. This, know. this would be a good point to introduce our new sponsors for the podcast, BetterHelp.com. <laughs> they, they, they are very good, Alan. They're sponsoring everyone, for fuck's sake. Um, nah, I great. think I could read out their sponsorship without... I haven't listened to it before. I would be able to read it verbatim. I'm not going to try it because I might fail, but um, my memory does work sometimes. Also, they aren't sponsoring us, Alan, so, you know. Well, <laughs> you, you you do your thing, I'll do mine. <laughs> um, just <laughs> just sponsor Alan, Edgar. Uh, no, great stuff. Great to hear everyone's um, kind of doing well. Good uh, good to catch up with friends on that, Kieran, as well. Um, okay, cool. Let's get into it. Actually, I just see before we get on to the opening question... Um, and on this day in 2006, uh, the great Jimmy Johnson passed away. Um, it's always good to kind of just kind of touch on kind of these unbelievable legends of of, of Glasgow Celtic. Um, kind of what's your kind? Of, like obviously, we are very in regards to when Johnson played. We didn't see him play because we were were too young. But Jimmy Johnson, Alan, when you just hear that word, what does it kind of that name? What does it kind of resonate with you? I think um, I think growing up, he was the he was the player that, you know, family members, your dad, mum, grandparents would talk about. He was the player that I had never got to see. There was some VHS footage. And he, I mean, he looked good, but it was the myth that it was more about when people told you stories about him, that's when it kind of came to life. Um, and he was just this incredible personality as well. I know there's so many great stories about him, but I remember my dad used to always talk about my dad worked with his son briefly. Um, and they used to pick up um, Jimmy's son in the morning in the van. My dad would just always talk about what it was like when you knew, because if it was, the guy would maybe be running late and people would love it because you could go and chat Jimmy Johnson's door. It was never, ever him that answered at that time in the morning. It was a long drive out to a power station. But um, just the idea, and you can imagine that now, It's just it seems like a bygone era, you know, the son of a famous football player of that level and that talent now wouldn't even have to work. Whereas Jimmy Johnson, you know, his career, he played junior football towards the end. And I think that the thing that's so exciting, so many people were able to have stories about him that weren't just, I got to see him play. It was, you know, he was behind the bar in a pub or he was in a pub or he was holding court in a pub and just things. It's just, it's a complete bike. And I think you watch him, the footage of him, he's one of the best wingers in the world. Um, and I think that's, you know, pretty um, pretty standard. You know, there's the testimony from other players, but I just love that there's so many people around Scotland, around Glasgow, etc., that will be able to have their own wee personal connection and story that might not be just about football. And I just find that something that you probably 
maybe don't get nowadays um, or haven't for a very long time. So I loved it. It was almost this mythical player growing up. And when you watched him, you looked at him and thought, great. But then when you added in those stories about him and people kind of recanting their own memories of him, it just gave him this kind of this status that is very difficult to achieve as a footballer, I think. Exactly. Uh, Kieran, your kind of brief thoughts? Yeah, I just have a really distinctive memory of being in my grand and granddad's house in, in Cumbernauld when I was like four, five, six. And then they had like the, as Alan says, the old VHS tape of the 67 final. And just that, I just got that in, like embellished in my memory. And I think it is one of those things where you you watch it back now. And I guess like everyone's in the same situation where, as Alan says, so much it is about the myth, the, 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 about all the lines, but especially Johnston, where he was... He was just a normal guy who just happened to be world class at football. Like it was just somebody you'd meet in the pub, meet on the street, and but at the and the same time, and I think that's that's important. I think it's really it's a brilliant part of the the identity of being a Celtic player, a Celtic supporter who becomes a player. I think it's something that we really value. You go going all the way, you know, to to Kieran Tierney. It's something that's always we've always cherished that sort of sincerity, that groundedness. But at the same time, if you watch football today, it's just astonishing how good he is. Like it's just amazing, like that the way the way it is, like watching Messi, and that's a cliche. It's a very boring comparison, but just the way he they glide past players, the low center of gravity, the way the ball just sticks to their feet. It's it's incredible to think that we we had a player like that. It's something to really be proud of. So I think. You know, I think Alan Spawn, that, that there's that part where I just feel we can take great pride in somebody like that being a Celtic player, but I think we can also take pride in a player like that being a Celtic player as well. I think it's just a story. Like the entire Lions, when you watch them, I'm amazed by how brilliant they were. Um, but Johnston especially, it's if you if you saw him today, you know he'd be. People would have you know some kid in Denmark or Indonesia would have him in their FIFA Ultimate Team because he's you know always his skills and tricks and stuff like that. It's just it's just it's really special, and I think you know there's there's always going to be a debate whether he is the best football of all, of Celtic, best Celtic football of all time. And I think it's refreshing to have that every time. I know my granddad. I think I mentioned before my granddad always was a big Bobby Murdoch guy, um, but I yeah it's just it's something quite sensational that, you know, our our best ever player is a silky winger that entertained thousands, if not millions of people, and not big some hack at center half who just booted players off the pitch like some other clubs we can name. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Great we dig there. Love it. Um, now I'm, I, you know, the, the beauty of kind of, um, obviously, my dad's 76 and stuff, the, the great thing I love to do is go and kind of have a pint with him and he kind of recants all these stories and stuff. But for me personally, the idea of, you know, that image of Jimmy Johnson standing in the Bernabeu with the ball above his hand, above his head, I just think is unbelievably iconic. And even the story about, you know, um, he didn't want to fly, he wasn't a fan of flying. Jockstein said, you know, if he, if the tie against Dukla Parag's dead, uh, you know, in the first first leg, you don't have to fly. Him scoring, you know, being unbelievable and then still having to fly. Just so many great stories, you know, voted Celtic's greatest ever player probably would be again. I, I, you know, if you, if you had the same vote, like, even in 10, 15 years' time, it just doesn't seem to be anyone who's really going to kind of challenge him and yeah an amazing player an amazing man and uh yeah just nice to kind of uh speak about these legends even if it's just uh briefly um okay so we got an opening question and it comes from paul 
And Paul asks, and this is an interesting one, um, does, just before we start on Paul's kind of uh, question, over the weekend, I don't know, something about that win on Saturday has really got people looking at the Celtic side in a very kind of, in an, almost in a new light. Uh, you know, Lorenzo was talking in the reaction about how all these ideas of, you know, what's supposedly a hard tie, like Ange and this team are kind of just swiping those ideas away. Going to tie Castle away, it's a tough game. No, it's not. Um, we'll bring in uh, the question uh, from Paul. The support seems to be unanimous in the fact that this team and manager are special. What aspect of the team, squad or style do you think makes them stand out? Is there anything specific for you in this side that you haven't seen before or something that makes you excited and special? Kieran, we'll start with yourself. Yeah, I think there's always like a case to be made that there's recency bias, you know, there's the, there's the thing we have after the Invincibles when we said, is this team even better than Martin O'Neill's, etc. You know, there's always a case. But if we put that sort of boring, wanky tidbit aside, <laughs> uh, I think this is a really special team. And, I, and I, you know, it might just be recency bias, but I do have a greater affection for them than the Invincibles. It might just be the types of players we have in the team. It might just be... Because, you know, because we have a lot of flair players, we have a lot of players who like to entertain the style of football they play. is more entertaining than what we're producing under the Invincibles. And I, I was, you know, too young to probably appreciate O'Neill's teams in their in their prime. Um, but I think the thing that really I love is their sense of togetherness and their sense of like a shared mission uh, or a shared ideal. You know. It, we mentioned it when Julian, a couple of weeks ago, when Julian was talking about how he felt alienated by how Ange's, um, you know, offset manner. Um, but it's something that clearly is fostered some, for the vast majority of the rest of the squad, this sense of togetherness. You know, as mentioned before, that the dressing room is Callum McGregor's place, it's not his. And I think you, you can put a lot of the togetherness down to how Ange has built this resilience in the team, this winning mentality but also how that sense of togetherness and community has been fostered by McGregor at the same time. You know, you look at the way he is still leading them. You've got some other lieutenants in there. You've got people, even like O'Reilly, who's not even starting every game, but he's constantly encouraging people, people like CCV. There, there, there's just a unity to this team, even when player, you know, a lot of big players haven't started recently. Abada, O'Reilly, Haxabana, which got his first start for what, since before the World Cup. These are big player, players with real ability, but there doesn't seem to be a sense of, well, uh, maybe some of Abada's comments aside, but there doesn't seem to be a sense of disunity. Like everybody has that shared goal, that shared mission. And I think that's what really appeals to me. You can see it the way they, every, they celebrate. They're all, you know, you can't read too much into body language, but they all seem come across as sincere. They all come across as a real affection bet between the players. I think that for me is what really appeals to them. They're not just playing beautiful football. They're not just winning you know every every domestic game bar two <laughs> they, you know they 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 also there's like a sense of fun and togetherness that i absolutely love about them uh great points kieran uh alan yourself any what kind of stands out for you yeah i think that the that notion of a shared mission or idea is, is quite important because i think what's so enjoyable about it and why i mean we'll talk about Saturday specifically i Saturday was just an absolute pleasure to watch. Not just because it was Hearts, it's Hearts away and it's the Scottish Cup. But genuinely, the football is just so aesthetically pleasing to watch. It's just, 
it's just incredible. And I think that shared mission, shared purpose, whatever you want to call it, I think comes from a clarity of here's what I expect you guys to do. And if you guys do it, then I think you'll win. And if you don't, then it's a lot it will be on me, the coach. And I think players like that because then there's a clear division there because he's saying this is how I want to play. This is how I want you guys to play. And if you do it, you'll win. And if you don't, then it'll be on me and it'll be on my system um, to a large extent. And I think what that then allows the players to do is, is buy into it entirely and quite simply do it and do it exactly the way the manager wants. And if they don't, then they'll, you know, we've talked about this before, they won't find themselves in the side. But what you then get from that is the positive of, you know, for example, if Aaron Moy turns a player and gets the other side, it's not just then that one motion. You then have two, three other players reacting to that in a way that he knows what, you know, can come off the back of that. So, for example, you know, if... And, you know, Johnston plays a ball down the side and one of the wingers gets in behind that um, fullback. And what you get is, is two or three players all making their moves. And then we can rely on that. And to watch, it's just enjoyable. Um, it can be frustrating if players don't, you know, hit their man or hit their target. But at all times, there's options. And it's just, Saturday to me was one of probably the most enjoyable game I've watched this season of Celtic. I, I just thought it was incredible. The football in the first half specifically was just great to see. And it's just, it's all one movement. It's all one motion. It's not one player does something and then the next kind of element kicks in. It's all everyone buying into it and trying to kind of create almost, um, almost the perfect performance, if you like. Um, and I, I just, just, the passing, the movement, um, the tempo. Oh, um, yes. It's just, there we are. Genuinely, it's just it's just great to watch, and it's there's an honesty to it as well that I can, almost can't put my finger on. But there's an honesty to, to to it that we employed in the Champions League that might be frustrating at times because other teams can go toe to toe with us and we'll be better man for man. But there's an honesty to it that I think tempts teams in, and almost teams like Hearts that maybe think, you know what, let's just go and make it again and see what happens. And then you come away, you've won three nothing, and they haven't got a kick of the ball really. And I think that's something that you need to try and do. Otherwise, you will be watching turgid football week in, week out. And we've kind of been there before. And we've been there before when it's successful. And we've talked about different areas of Celtic and successful football is that all that matters. And But well, what we've got now is what appears to be very, very successful football. But it's just incredibly enjoyable to watch as well. It's a, it's a real sweet spot. And I think people are really buying into it and just can't wait for the next game. And it doesn't really matter whether it's home against a bottom three team or bottom four team because you think I'm going to be entertained and I'm going to watch some exciting, incisive football and that's exactly what we've seen on Saturday. But on a, on a big stage and what is traditionally a tough game, as Lenz have said, I thought he put his finger on it really well in the reaction. And that's just the perfect combination for us. Um, what, you know, what I find is, you know, when I'm watching it, there seems to be, and I know there's not, I know there's a lot of planning and I know there's a lot of kind of training into everything we do. But it does seem so simplified how we play football. And I know it's not. And I know there's a lot of layers to everything they do. You know, inverted fullbacks and all that stuff. Totally get that. But it does seem so simplified. And it seems like these players are playing with a level of freedom that they ne- not necessarily have had before. Um, Kieran, let me ask you this. And I'll ask you as well, Alan, as we're coming up to it. Um, you can't. We're not going to play perfect football. We're not going to play exciting football every single game, right? That's it. Just doesn't happen in, in football. These are human beings, and you know that that level of consistency is probably you know outwith the reaches, right? 
But when we've played well under Ange and like this season, like we talk about the last couple of games and stuff, is this the best football you've seen played by a Celtic team in your time? I think so, yeah. I think there was, there was a period under Rodgers when we first moved to like, um, was it Rogic and Christie's, the two number eights, and then McGregor behind them, um, where we were astonishing, we were brilliant. But that was only for about six weeks, two months or so. Um, and I think this is at least that level, but extended over, you know, maybe it was a tr- it was tricky at the first few months, but there's been well over a year since we've been pretty much been playing this consistently, you know, apart from one or two drop-offs, which happened to every team domestically, <laughs> you know, over a 38-game season, over the various Cup and European competitions. There are going to be slip-ups, that's just the nature of sport, but it's, it is just, some of the football is, I can't even express it because it's not like we are just relying on low-driven crosses. It's not like we're relying on shots from outside the box or all these like systems that to create goals a certain way. We have our favourite goals that we, you know, the things like the well, the, the one of the recent classics of the right back like Ralston putting the ball in behind for a badass run, and then he he dr- drives across the six-yard box. We've got like goal templates like that. But we're scoring all kinds of goals. Yeah, like we we can we we've got such versatility there. You know, we, whether we're scoring from crosses, whether from link-up players in the box creating chances through one-touch football shots from outside the box, whether it's from you know we have got as a given we love to moan about not scoring enough from set pieces. We've got a lot of goals from set pieces this season. I think maybe more than people might realise, and it's we've just got such a variety of tools there. And they're all entertaining as well. Like all three of our goals were brilliant for different reasons on, on Saturday, whether it was O'Reilly's delivery for the third and CCB's quality of the header, the quality of the finishes, both deliveries for the first two. It's so exciting. It's so up-tempo. And yeah, even, you know, it was great having how controlling Rogers were. Uh, you know, watching back a lot of the O'Neill and Strachan years, it's, it's exciting to have two, you know, the the big target men who you can rely on to score powering headers from corners or high crosses. But I think there's just, there's a pace and uh, imagination to the football we're seeing now that personally I can't remember in living memory. And, you know, the fact that I'm just, he's saying all the right things, but we love to hear as fans are saying, oh, we're not there yet. We still want to improve in the summer. We've got levels to go. And, you know, you just salivate at the prospect of, you know, it could just be, you know, marketing speak for stuff fans like to hear. But imagine if it's real and we do get better, we do create better goals, we do you produce better football. That's just so tantalising to think about. What about you, Alan? You think it's some of the best football we've you, you've watched as a as a fan? I think it is, and I think the I think the reason it's up there, and I, I, if anyone said this is the best football they've seen in their Celtic lifetime, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to disagree, um, or at least say it's definitely not because it's unique. Um, it is a very specific way of playing um, it's not a rehashing of another way of playing this is a really this is the first time I think we've seen a lot of football played like this especially the way that we try and bring it out and I think that's why Saturdays are a, a good kind of milestone for us to actually reflect on because I think what we did best on Saturday is what Ange wanted to do from day one and it really starts with the fullbacks playing into our number eights. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Gal, you said about, you know, it looks so easy and it looks so comfortable, and you're absolutely right, it does. But it all comes from the principle of 
guys having to work probably a little bit harder yeah. to get into space than they ever have. And I think the guys that come to mind for that are usually the two number eights and Aaron Moy and Rio Hitati. Because what they have to do when centre-halves or full-backs are pressed is they need to come out from the middle of the park where they've played, used to playing and used to receiving the ball, and they need to go out and receive it wide in the touchline. And what it did on Saturday was just nullified anything Hearts wanted to do. You can absolutely be critical of Hearts, and people will be. I'd rather try and look at it from the Celtic perspective of it was just so simple. So all they had to do was draw them in, and then Aaron Boy generally was the one that he would kind of bust a gut to get out onto that right-hand flank. And then from there, he's either in space or he's got another pass that he can play. And right away, you're then, you've taken two, three players out of the mix. And it was so simple, it was so effective. But all it's all underpinned by having to probably accept it. You're going to have to work harder than the other team to get into those spaces. And if you don't, you make it really, really hard for your centre-halves. And I think it was Carl McGregor at the weekend that talked about the centre-halves having their kind of toughest job in the team. If other guys don't do what they need to be and they aren't in their spot, the centre-halves will look very, very foolish and they will be the ones that get the flag. When it works, when everyone works hard enough and when the players are competent on the ball, what you can get at the weekend is a performance like that that just makes it look effortless. I mean, that I think Saturday was as good an example of it as we'll see domestically under, um, from Celtic. It was just, I thought it was incredible. It was just great to watch and feel such a buzz after it, to be honest, even two days later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that it really set you up for the whole weekend, I thought, personally. But um, let, let's talk about some news that we've got. Um, we've got a question from Simon. We'll probably come around to that uh, a little bit later on the show. Um, Callum McGregor names the Celtic players with hardest job as captain gets specific with Ange Ball praise. So he talks about, essentially, the, the centre-halves. CCV, he's outstanding. He and Carl Starfelt... And to be fair, when Yuki Kobayashi came on, he was strong as well. I've said this plenty of times. In our, centre, in our system, the two centre-backs have the hardest job because they go into, they've got to start the play and be involved in everything. On the flip side of that, they are the one-on-one -on -one defending all the time. So they've got to be strong and defend their line. They've got to be quick. So it's a really tough position. And when he plays, it makes it, he makes it look easy. Let me tell you, it's not easy. It's the same with Big Carroll. We understand that gives us a platform in the game to how we want to play. Um, Keenan, points from from Cal McGregor. I mean, we've actually got a question from uh, Stuart Dugan uh, who asks, um, "Hi guys, quick question for today's agenda: How did Keenan procure a lock of Carol Starfelt's hair to complete his voodoo doll that ensured Kobayashi got minutes at the weekend? Many thanks. He got the one good work. Um, <laughs> great stuff. Um, those, those comments from, from Cal McGregor just in regards to the centre-half, he mentions Kobayashi as well. What's your thoughts? Uh, well, firstly, I'd like to say I, I disabled his alarm system and <laughs> snuck into his house at night and used a fine pair of scissors. Um, but I, I just love it when Cal McGregor talks tactics. I just think he's he's so insightful, but he uses, like, he just uses very simple, direct language that people, including myself, can overcomplicate to make themselves sound smart. Whereas he just uses he uses it in very simple, understandable, comprehensible terms to discuss what can be quite complex ideas. And he makes it sound so engaging and everybody can get behind it. Everybody can get invested in it. I love it. I love it. I wish it genuinely, I think he's got, you know, people always say people are like, somebody is well tooled to be a manager in the future. I think the way McGregor is, how he's got the the mentality, he's clearly an incredibly intelligent guy, he's clearly got the, the charisma and the sense of unity and togetherness. I think 
this, he does have the right attributes to be a great manager. Um, back to what your point was, <laughs> I, I agree. Com- I agree completely. I, I know I'm a money bastard a lot of the time about playing out from the back, and the, the centre backs aren't doing it fast enough or whatever. But they, they do have the they do have the most important job. They do start the attacks, and I do think they there are both of them. Why well, do they do have maybe some deficiencies in that? The, the, the way they've adapted to it, they've really relished the challenge. And I do th- think they have some tremendous qualities that each of them make them some of best Celtic's best centre-backs in recent years. You know, CCV has really become a, a titan and sent the 18-yard box. I think he's, he has got he has got better on the ball and I think he's got a, a better at reading um, the game for those one-on-ones as well. Not just inside the box, but out of it as well. Like, I just think the way he tracks the runners or handles... Uh, target men since this time last season he's improved a lot Like he just knows when to shepherd the ball out he knows when to stand off his man he's just a very very smart defender now and and Starfield you know I've talked about it he's just in terms his reading of the game I think is sensational especially inside the box he has quite, he has a few other issues that maybe hold him back a bit but I just think yeah he's just he's, he is like a great 18 yard box defender and then with with Kobayashi, I know it was, it was a bit of a meme, a bit joking before, but how much of a mark it was. No, after that forty five minutes, I am entirely sincere, completely <laughs> unapologetic. He's going to be the greatest Celtic centre back of the twenty first century, Love it. and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take any any questions. Um, and then and I just I, I, yeah, I just think it was in a really healthy place now. I know I think I think we are even as a you know as a as a mark. I was a little concerned by his lack of game time that maybe he was he was. Not the, you know, the article we wanted. It wasn't the ball playing well round in centre back. We hoped he would be. Saturday isn't definitive by any means. It's forty five minutes. Admittedly, on a very tough ground against a good team, but you know, there's still a lot of work to go before he can we can confidently see as that player. But I do think it's a really, it's a promising promising place to be for our centre backs now that we've got, you know, a player there who with a a really useful skill set the other two don't have. Another two are very competent if not great defenders and you know I think it's it's just a really healthy position to be in you know I'm quite curious and you know given the the fourth option as Welsh whether Welsh might move on you're bringing Lowell or even sign another a fourth centre-back I think that's quite an interesting question we're going to have this summer we've talked about before that that fourth centre-back spot is going to is going to be a big topic of debate for the summer's window but I think for those first three you know Situation can change dramatically, but at the moment, after the high of Saturday, I think it's a really exciting sp- uh, place to be, especially as as has been said, how important they are to the team. Yeah, it's an interesting points that Cal McGregor makes, Alan, just in regard to the fact that the defenders have to defend, <laughs> but they also have to. They're expected to, you know, come out with the ball and, and create attacks, and you know, obviously, he's got a part to play in that as well. Um, I, li- I like the fact that he's kind of made that kind of clear that they're doing far more than maybe people are giving credit for. Yeah, I, th- I think he is. And I think what he's doing is he's, it's not that they're doing far more than we give them credit for. It's that they're responsible for doing what we need. And when they don't do it, it kind of can, um, it means we can sometimes fault the first hurdle in terms of how we want to play and then that then falls on them, which is you know, valid. And I think as we talk about Champions League, we'll inevitably come back to some of the discussions. But I think it is good that he is kind of, I think it's highlighting that they have a big responsibility and it is on them. But it is, in t- it is about what the other guys 
can do in terms of getting into their spaces. That's so vital. And I think other players need to help them. I think there has been a tendency in some games um, for us to not put that simple hard yards in and it does make it then very difficult for the defenders because then they do have to thread passes instead of just playing a slightly simpler pass um, it, it makes it a lot more difficult and I think um, I agree wholeheartedly with what Kieran said about Cal McGregor and the way he speaks and the way he treats um, he, I think he treats the fan base or treats people listening to his interviews whether they're fans or not with respect and I don't know, it's just the way he talks about football, he does have a way of simplifying it. It's, it's kind of how I imagine, like, Gal McGregor is a, when he's speaking post-game, is kind of how I imagine Barry Gallagher when he teaches, because he's very, very good at explaining. You remember when Barry was explaining that way that he had of teaching fractions? Oh, I, I switched off in the first 10 seconds, but then actually when I tuned back in, I thought, I can actually <laughs> understand this. It's the same principle. Um, so, and Gal McGregor, I mean, it's, he's a long way off that yet, but he, is a, he does seem like someone that would be great for new players coming in and great for getting players to buy into it because you don't need to, as Kieran says, overcomplicate it. You can try and simplify it, make it a little bit easier and just tell guys what they need to be doing when and here's how it fits into the wider kind of structure. Um, and I know that that comes from the manager, but having your captain, who's also probably your best player, reinforcing that day in, day out, is just, it's just invaluable. What I thought, was interesting about the weekend and kind of the reaction and, and the post-match kind of comments. And I've got a little bit more from, from Ange, um, is that, you know, we scored three goals at, uh, at Tynecastle. We performed incredibly well from back to front. But you always expect when you perform like that, that the praise is really going to drop on the kind of wingers and the midfielders and all that. And don't get me wrong, they got the praise they deserved. But there was just a, it seemed like CCV on Saturday. I don't know just how people re- were reacting to his performance uh, and rightly so it was very very positive um I've I seen comparisons to how he was physically dominating the the hearts forward line and their defense when you know when it comes to the third goal Compa- comparable to like you know Virgil van Dijk when he was up here just in terms of physicality and, and, and how he dealt with them um and I, I like the fact that we've put this really great performance in and the guy getting a lot of the praise is a center back um Postacoglu came out afterwards and they said that, you know, about CCB, he's been outstanding from the moment we signed him. He's a really great defender. And our back four, you need to do a lot of one-on-one defending. Physically, he's as strong as anyone. He's got great awareness and he's still really, he's a really intelligent footballer in terms of understanding the game and the areas he needs to protect. Um, just, and Kieran, you, you mentioned it briefly, but CCB's overall performance over the season, let alone the game on Saturday, what's your thoughts? Yeah, he's been he's been he's been outstanding. I, I think you know, especially since he's basically been with Starfield, has had quite a few injuries. Um, CCV has been the mainstay. You know, I think he's missed a couple of games through his own injuries, but it's only been a handful. And he has been whether it's been Jens, Welsh, Starfelt, or you know, a couple. Well, I think the, no, yesterday, what Saturday, sorry, was the first time he made that I think he played with Kobayashi. But he has been that that bedrock. Um, and as I say, like he is, we know of his quality inside the box. He's excellent at the blocks. He's excellent at, at in the aerial duels inside the box. But I think, as I said before, I, I've just been really impressed by how, as we say, he deals with those sort of powerful forwards that have traditionally given our centre backs trouble. Like you think about when to the the Ayer Julian years, where both of them just had a lot of trouble with powerful strikers. 
that's not really been, you know, even, you know, when it was Welsh and Jens, even this season, like, it was just a nightmare for us to deal with St Mirren when it was those two centre-backs. I think CCV, and to be fair, like, Starfelt was improved with that a lot. I think he had trouble with that his first season, and Kobe Ash looks natural with it as well. But it just looks so natural to to CCV. You know, I think the Van Dyke comparison in this specific issue is 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 fair because he just it's the decision making I think is improved a lot. You know, he he know as I said before, he knows when he has a good opportunity to dive in, win the ball back. He knows when he should just stand off, track the runner closed in the space and that given we are the way we press given the way we defend a lot of the teams especially Hearts just rely on that out ball they just rely on having uh, either a quick guy or a strong guy up front to win the ball back and then that's how they make the yards that's how they get up the pitch but when you have CCV just anticipating um, every, the, every move and you know he is getting better at tracking fast guys as well it's it's it just makes it like we are just nullifying their only strengths. We are just like closing them down, and you can see that against Hearts. You know, apart from that, um, that heart double save, um, which they had literally no other chances. I can't I can't remember. We're just getting so good now at controlling these games. You know, sometimes as we saw in the first half against Sibirin, maybe the first half against Hearts, it, our tempo isn't there. But I do think our structure and the individual performances are just so good at not you know nullifying the few strengths of the opposition domestically. As Alan alluded to earlier, Champions League will be an di- entirely different story, but that's for another time. At the moment, we can really enjoy these few months of just a really, really special team domestically. Uh, Alan, CCV, would they be up for player of the year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's three or four players that I would put in that and I, I would include him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think... The one thing I'd point, uh, maybe just add to it is, is the development of him. He's he's so far removed from the player that we brought in that played, you know, those European games very early on under Ange. Um, he's so far removed from that player because he has continued to grow and develop. He, he's been, I think he's been exceptionally consistent for us um, and his base level of performance has always been high. I think what, Maybe Keane's kind of alluding to it there what he's done now is over time he's just refined it to an extent that he is he's, he's he is the best defender in the league. I don't think there's any question of that. I think what's quite what's maybe different from CCD to maybe some of the other players that shine in this team. I think CCD could play quite comfortably under any Celtic manager of the last twenty years and he would still thrive. Yeah. He would be potentially the best defender on the team, and um, maybe with the exception you know of of Virgil Van Dijk because he was just. Um, certainly what he would that's going to become is just unique. But CCV likes both sides of the game. He's quite comfortable with it. Um, so I think if Ange was to up sticks and leave tomorrow, I think you would look at CCV and say, I wouldn't have any concerns about him. It might, we, we, may, we might change the way we play. He will still be a top-level player, though. And I think that's quite an exciting prospect. And um, that might be what's the alarming prospect um, come the end of the season. But let's just... Um, enjoy it for the moment we're having a nice time we don't need to worry that far ahead I just enjoy how unruffled he is and how level he is throughout the game see when you turn around and you're a player and you get a centre half who's maybe been in a battle but he's come out on top and he just looks calm collected he's not getting involved you very seldom do you see him having a go at the referee aside from his yellow card at the weekend he's just kind of 
he's just very comfortable um, and he, he looks like he just likes to go up with the game relish it it's, it's almost like he likes to go to work and get home and that's him he's quite happy three points up the road and then he can sit and have a big scram um, and he's just I don't know there's just something about him it just fascinates me I just absolutely love him I, I loved his yellow card by the way it was just a case of uh, man, ball, whatever you're in the danger zone and I'm taking you out no bother at all, loved it it, it, it kind of had the feel of a Jose Mourinho team that are going into the second leg of a semi-final when they're 5-0 up, it's almost as if he thought I'm going to take a card here so that I can get a week <laughs> off or so that I can reset but instead no, it was just um, just a missing tackle actually But um, it, did have a, it was just bizarre because it was so out of character Um but he had a great day, and he probably wasn't my man in a match on the day, but he, he did have a great day nonetheless. Uh, on Starfelt, um, Starfelt's injury, uh, Andrew Postacoglu basically said he felt a niggle in his hip flexor in the warm-up and flagged up really early on in the game. We got him through to half-time, but you could see he wasn't moving well. I don't think it is anything significant, but it was good to get UK or some game time. Uh, and we could see his quality. I just still, even though that's been explained, I've got this image of Kieran uh, Devlin with like a mask on, like Nancy Carrigan, not Nancy Carrigan, like, um, what you got, Tonya Harding, just running into the dressing room and hitting, <laughs> hitting Carl Starfelt on the side with a, like, just a bit of fun, Kieran. Uh, I thought it was more menacing when he explained that he crept into his house in the middle of the night, personally. That was slightly more worrying for me, but each their own. Each their own, bit creepy. Um, on the uh, our, our good friend Aaron Moy, he's come out with some kind of comments about his time at Celtic. He says he's embracing it, he's enjoying it. Um, Celtic is a demanding club. Whenever I play, I'm under pressure to perform and win. That's what the support expects. It's enjoyable because you feel everything at this club. The support, the pressure, everything you can feel in football, you feel it at Celtic. I'm enjoying the challenges and hopefully it can be a good season. But I hate this bit doing press conferences. <laughs> but the heightened senses here really energise me. I'm getting a bit older, so I'm trying to maximise everything that I'm doing. Celtic is a club where you feel the support, you feel everything. I'm just taking it in. It's a feeling of relief when you win more than exhilarating, 100%, especially in big games. But that's the first thing you feel relief. It's not joy or happiness. I mean, he's kind of laying out the, the idea of, of pressure. And the whole kind of pressure, you know, you can get really good players coming to Celtic and just not kind of kind of hitting the heights that they probably should because they can't deal with the pressure. Um, Keenan, what's your thoughts on Adam Moy? You still hate him? <laughs> yes, unreservedly. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's he's playing really, he's in really good form at the moment. Um, he's he's contributing plenty, and I think he's he's. I do think there's a bit, bit more sharpness to him on the ball. A bit, I do have some issues still with him tracking rudders. Um, off, I think there's he doesn't contribute as much defensively, but at the same, but you have to level off and just say maybe in the balance of things, what the the, the amount he's contributing on the ball, the amount he's contributing towards Celtic's goal tally, you just say, yeah, that outweighs the not tracking back. Fair enough. Yeah, they, yeah, he's just been he's been really, and the finish on Saturday was class. It was really good. I lo- I love. I just love it when you, you know, I, I love all the fancy, some good fancy footwork and, you know, Kyogo's finish is genius and it probably was the best finish on the day. But at the same time, I just love it when the player puts a, a, the laces through it and just thumps it past a keeper. Love and the, the 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 really good uh, sound of the ball hitting the net as well. Like I'll, the, the most satisfying thing, the Team Castle net being ruptured. Loved it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's absolutely justifying his starting spot at the moment. O'Reilly came on and did well himself. He's actually been 
played well the last few times he's played O'Reilly, I think. But I think you just look at the how key Moy's been to Celtic's recent goals, and you've, yeah, there's he's been he's been a really good player for us the past few weeks and months. Uh, when that ball hit that back in the back of the net, Alan, he made a big pot of jam, big pot of jam, um, delicious. Uh, Aaron Moy is someone that you know it took a while for him to kind of get cooking, as Barry Gallagher would say. Um, but he's been absolutely integral to how we've played over the last couple of months. Um, is the idea that you give him an extension to his contract, a one-year extension, maybe a couple of months ago people would have went, mm, I don't know, whereas now it just seems like, like almost a no-brainer? Yeah, I, th- I think it is. Um, I-, I think you can. I think Ange is probably much more relaxed about it. Moy's um, in a different situation to probably other players at the team. If that was any of the other players we've talked about so far, then you would be extremely nervous about it. But as I think Moy, he's a bit more experienced. He's a bit older. Um, I think he probably, I think lifestyle definitely plays into his career decisions because he has probably been abroad and, you know, been away from his family. And I think he's kind of mentioned that um, before. So I think it would maybe be a time you maybe sit down and have that discussion. I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually at the end of a season. And I think that probably is the sensible thing to do because when players get to that age, now he's not, what is he, 31? Um, so he's still got, a bit of, you know, still got a bit of time to go. But you do need to take it a little bit. You don't, you don't sign a three, four-year deal at that age. You sit down maybe when there's a, a slight break, whether that's end of the season or international break, and you maybe have a think about it then and have that discussion. So I'm probably quite relaxed about it. And I would imagine... Aaron Moy and the club are as well and Ange having that kind of connection with the player probably helps too so um, I'm quite kind of happy to leave that in his hands but his form at the moment is keeping Matt O'Reilly out of the team simply because he's just so comfortable in the ball and he's so integral to the way we attack and the way that he releases other players um, to go and shine Um, I think he's been fantastic when he signed I remember three years sitting and I don't think any of us were particularly I don't think anyone was enthused by it. Um, I don't think we were down on it. I think I said at the time, I think he'll be fine domestically. I was miles off um, because he's, he's domestically he's been exceptional. Um, and it will be a huge challenge for Matt O'Reilly. Um, and I think it'll, over time, I hope there'll be a good challenge for O'Reilly and hopefully he'll overcome it and he, you know, he'll go on and become an integral part of the team. But he's really, really struggling to get in just now. And I think it is just a testament to the form of Aaron Moy. Um and it is great when he does the post-match interviews. I think I said it the weekend after the game. It's like when you used to go out to the shops with your mum and she would meet a friend and you would just be standing there. Just, and it felt like it went on for ages and ages and you were just so bored. That is what O'Reilly's and um, Moy's like when he's getting interviewed. When McGregor was answering questions, it just looked like he would rather be anywhere else. So late red cards are coming for Aaron Moy, I think. I think he's had a great <laughs> performance. That's what I see in his future. Um, see, on, on, on what you said there, um, Alan, about, you know, he's... He, he's in the team on merit, Aaron Moy, and he's he's kind of keeping uh, Matt O'Reilly to substitute appearances. Um, what does Matt O'Reilly need to do to get back into this team? Is you know is it a case of um, Moy is integral as we've said at the moment? What does Matt O'Reilly need to do? Because he has been coming on and he's been been performing well. Um, I just I just wonder what what you think Ange sees that he he can go okay actually. It's time, you know, you've usurped Moy or whatever. How do you think that works? I think, I think for me, 
long term, the one thing I think Matt Riley will need to improve upon is the ability to not just drop out of games, not entirely, but to be far too passive in games. And I think that's probably why um, he's not in the side at the moment. Aside from Moist form, what he can do is, I think sometimes the game can just not go his way. I think he can get frustrated sometimes. And I think you've seen that. Um, I think when he come on midweek, he wants to impress and he wants to get on the ball. But there is a lot of hard work that's required to find yourself in those positions. And I think that's the element of the game that we need to come to him. He's a young player. He's got this, you have to afford him the same kind of development path as the other young players of that age. That means that they might be exceptional at sometimes, but they might drop out. And I think when you're in the middle of the park, that focus on you is um, higher. But he does have stiff competition now, not only for that starting place, but now to be the kind of go-to substitute. Because I think now what we've seen is that, that Tomoko Iwata, potentially if we're in a slightly tighter game, Ange might think I'll go to Iwata instead of go to O'Reilly if it's a game where you're not 2 nothing and you're maybe just that little bit more inclined to just shore it up a little bit. I think Awata now is is clearly an option there. So I think it's not just about getting a start, it's to actually be the next go-to midfielder. Um, because I think we talked after the cup final on the agenda, we talked about how we felt that that might be a watershed moment in a new version of Angie's team. I think that's been 100% correct because since then, I haven't seen James Forrest. We've seen, I think, I don't, have we seen anything of David Turnbull? If so, maybe a couple of minutes. I think it is very much now for the, the kind of last third of the season. We are now moving on to the guys that we think will be the stars here next season and it's ruthless. Um, so I think for O'Reilly, it's, as Kieran says, when he comes on, he's got to shine. When he gets the start though, that's when he needs to do it because when you get the start, you put yourself in pole position to play the next game. And I don't remember which home game it was. I thought he was okay, but he didn't. I think it was the game before the League Cup final he probably just didn't grab the jersey in the way you need to and maybe the game kind of passed him by at times. I think when you play the middle of the park, you need to be constantly on it. You need to be always moving the ball, shifting. Moyes had games where he's dropped out of it as well. I think just in terms of overall consistency, he's just edged it and that's why I think he got the nod in the cup final and then since then, again, his form's picked up again. So I think it's tough for O'Reilly, but that's the nature of it. It's a very, very competitive midfield three in there at the moment. You've got those two consistent kind of players though and you know Hatati and McGregor just kind of anchoring that kind of those both those positions. Keaton, what about yourself in regards to O'Reilly Moy? Yeah, I think I'm pretty much the same as, as Alan. I think it is the case. What I think O'Reilly needs to learn from Hatati specifically and not to, you know, just sort of do fan fiction about Hatati again. <laughs> but it's just that but they, I think what one of the, the the many many things I love about him is that when he tries something ambitious and it doesn't come off, he doesn't get phased. He will keep trying ambitious yeah. passes and, and dribbles, whatever. He will keep doing it, and they will come off, and it will it will create something. Something will come of it because he just has that conviction. I think one of O'Reilly's, and I think you know, I think technically in terms of ability, he is one of our best players. O'Reilly, I do think I agree with Alan. I think it's just there's just maybe a bit of a psychological block or a slight mentality thing. And it's not to say he's, you know, he doesn't have it because he's a, he's a clear winner. He's a clear leader as well. He loves chatting to players. He loves encouraging players. I just think as I'm saying, there's something when something doesn't come off or two, two things don't come off in a row. He does tend to get a bit down about it. He might try and just be a bit more functional. Um, And, you know, being functional has, can have its place. 
but not when Moy and Hatate are in the form they are, when you're trying to secure your place in the team. You do need to just keep trying those ambitious passes, keep trying to be bold when you're on the ball, because he absolutely has the quality to create, as we saw with that delivery to CCV, one of the, one of the best crosses I've seen all season. You know, he definitely has the ability to constantly produce and deliver. It's just, I, I think he just has to try and, as Alan says, when he's starting to produce that for 60 minutes, if he's on for 60 minutes, keep trying and the, and they will come off. And I know like some some people get frustrated when someone like Hitati is trying those ambitious things and it doesn't come off for him. But the the, the thing I always come back to, circle back to, is the, the reward always outweighs the risk when you're in this team. And that's maybe just something O'Reilly needs to try a bit more to try and be a bit more risky when he's on the ball. Excellent point, Kieran. Really, really good stuff. Uh, Alan, you want to come in? Yeah, I think just maybe lastly on it that it feels like when we praise one player, we then need to criticise the other. I don't think it's that. It's when you're trying to put two and you're trying to make the decision of why is one starting over another. You look at potential reasons. But I think the thing with O'Reilly that we probably haven't mentioned as well is he's been through real hardship already in his career. To actually have a professional career, he's had a really, really difficult journey, and I think um, you know that's been that's been covered and um, you know elsewhere. So I think that's probably what you have faith that he won't look at this and think, "Oh, I need to move on" or "I need away from Celtic." He'll look at this and say, "I need to just work hard to really get into this team." Um, and you wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if you're in a situation six months where Matt O'Reilly's a star of this team, and we're talking about, you know how this time was maybe the making of him because he was able to work through it. He's a young player. He's incredibly professional. I think we talk about that a lot. He just wants to be the absolute best. There's no doubt that he'll be working on it. He'll be analysing it more than anyone else is. And um, I'd certainly back Matt O'Reilly to be a, a huge player in this team again. And I wouldn't even be surprised if it was at some point this season that he's a key starter that you feel you can't drop. As is, I've talked about this with the wingers. We've talked about it with other positions. Different times in the season, different guys will shine. O'Reilly did for a while. He was in at the six and at the eight, and then he dropped off. I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in the team before the end of the season. He's just and he's one of the stars in it, and kind of we quickly forget the period when he was out the team. Well, that's the funny thing. I think as supporters and fans, we kind of like we're we're kind of rushing around wanting everyone to be happy because we're worried that you know I'm not playing enough games, so we're we're going to kind of move on. But there was a, a question asked of Ange about you know, the idea that players being unhappy is specifically about Abada. Um, giving him praise, someone gave him praise for the fact that he's not kind of publicly came out and been unhappy that he's not starting. And Ange's quote was, what do you reckon would happen to players who threw their tams out of the pram, mate, toys out of the pram, mate? It's like just that whole big thing of, look, we'll move you on. If, if you're not happy, we'll move you on. We're, we're a football club that kind of is... is you know, moving and shaking all the time. So if you're not happy here that you're not playing, if you, you can't see your long-term future, all that stuff, because it came again on the back of a bad, I, there was a quote where he basically spoke to an Israeli, um, I don't know if it's a, a, a sport outlet. Um, and he said, I'm coming on as a substitute. There are things behind that that people don't know about. I don't want to go into too much detail. Just a little bit, a little bit ambiguous, a little bit kind of weird. Um, I'm not sure it's been kind of, picked up a lot but Abada so we've got a question about Abada um, and it kind of 
references Haksabanovic. So on Wednesday when Haksabanovic came on for uh, you know the last sort of 20 minutes and he scores that that wonderful goal, I think we were all kind of... I, I personally have been chomping at the bit for, for Haksabanovic to get a start. Um, people maybe have been disappointed with his performance on, on Saturday against Hearts and we can touch on that briefly. But we got a question from Daz. Um, Daz says, Like most, I was buzzing to see Haksabanovic start against, uh, against the Diets. Um... But after he didn't really take the starting role as we all hoped, will he receive the same level of scrutiny that a younger player, Abada, gets? Um, what's your thought, Alan? We'll, we'll start yourself. What's your kind of thought on that question? On the overall kind of point that I, I just I hate this idea that we're, we're we're saying okay, he's had a bad game, so he goes down to the bottom of the queue. That you know, I don't think that that's very helpful. Thoughts, Alan? No, I, I don't think he had a bad game. Um, I don't. I think Daz is probably right. He, he didn't have the starting role, but I don't think he had a bad game. Um, and he started brightly and then kind of dropped off, but it was functional. He did exactly what he did. He played the role well, but he just never got his moment, if you like. Um, and it was other guys that picked up the slack. We've seen that throughout the season. Um, I, I agree. I think he will probably get the same treatment and criticism that probably Abada gets. Um, but I, I wouldn't do it after Saturday because I don't think he, he didn't make bad decisions, he didn't um you know, he, he didn't hamper the team, I felt. Um, he just maybe didn't quite shine in the way that he did on the Wednesday prior. Um so I mean I, if he puts in a really poor performance then absolutely you know, I'll criticise him. And I think there's I think we've talked about a lot. There's a reason why he's not starting. Um I know Gal, you're a huge Haksabanovich mark, I think is the is the phrase. I like him. But I do wonder why he hasn't started more games and I feel that I still don't know his natural position yeah. because we don't play with a 10. I think that maybe impacts him. So finding him his space and finding him his game time, I think will still be a challenge. But I was glad he got the start. He maybe didn't grab it in the way he would have wanted, but I didn't think he was bad or that it would be I would be critical. I thought the whole team performed really, really well and some guys really, really shone. Aksivanovic wasn't one of them, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be... I don't have the knives out for him. Yeah. Uh, Keenan, what's your thoughts on Haksabanovic on Saturday? Yeah, I thought it was fine. I thought he used the ball well around the box. There was some really nice link-up play around the box. I think he contributed to the tempo um, he, and the quality of how we were using the ball, as Alan's saying. You know, he wasn't a starting player, not, not by a long shot, but I think he really just... The quality of how we used the ball, I think he was a key figure on that, around the box. It never led to him creating a clear chance or getting a good shot and goal or scoring or anything. And maybe that's maybe that's where people were maybe a little disappointed. But I thought in general he did he did pretty well. I think the difference for me personally with Abada and Haksabanovic is when Haksabanovic when he he doesn't have a starting game, I think he still tends to make pretty good decisions on the ball. He still looks after the ball well. Whereas I think when Abada has a bad game, he makes bad decisions and doesn't look after the ball well. And as Alan says, it can be a detriment to the team. I think that's maybe that personally where I sit on it. Um, but I, I think the point about Abada obviously being still very, very young is fair. Um, but Hagsabanovich is what, two, year, two years older, I think. So he's, he's still very young himself. Um yeah, I think it's I think it's just one of those things where we do we get so excited. We know we've talked about it before, where we get so excited about players who aren't in the team, and we suspect that when they come back in, they're going to be amazing. And if they're not, we get frustrated, and then we want the player who was benched for them to come back in the team. This is everyone. I do it. We all do it. This is what being a football fan is like. 
Um, Alan's putting his hand up because he's going to say, "No, I'm not. I'm the most <laughs> rational. I'm the most irrational <laughs> fan around." I, I think there's. To be honest, I think it's 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 easy for us to do that because we see Celtic for at most 190 minutes a week. Ange might put Haxabanovic or Abada or whoever into a game because they've been exceptional in training for weeks and for whatever reason they don't have, they don't excel. But they'll go back to training on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and they'll be back to it and they'll show that. His job will then be to try and make sure that he can get the best out of them on game days and I think that's why I, I don't think anybody, a coach, would look at Haxabanovic's performance on Saturday and look and think, right, well, he won't get a start again. I think you'd look at it and say, He's trying hard to impress in game time, like Abada does when he comes on as well, so that he gets that start. But we see them do it consistently. We believe in them, and we know that it will come. And if we watched training four days a week at Lennox Town, as well as watching Celtic on a Saturday, we would have probably wildly different opinions on the pecking order, why guys are getting a game, why guys aren't. And I think when you only have that game time, you need to extrapolate everything Um for about five days after until the next game. And that then means that you do just get that snapshot. So I can understand it. But the reality is that I think the manager, it's easier for managers and coaches to take a step back and think, nah, we'll, we'll stick with him or we'll give him another shot because he's doing all the right things and it'll come in time, um, you know, on, on the bigger stage. Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, Abada's just one that, you know, I, I do find him frustrating and I'm not, I'm not going to apologise for finding him frustrating. There are qualities that the boy has, of course, um, but you know there is a... presenter. Presenter doesn't back down over controversial remarks. Eh? Hashtag, it's familiar. Yep. Hashtag uh, support. Gal. Refuses to apologise. Um, but you know, I, I will gladly take the mantle of presenter. Don't really worry. I'll <laughs> scab so hard. I'll be the king scab. Yeah, absolutely no solidarity at all. Uh, the cynic <laughs> will go on without me. Um, but no, I, I just think you know, as, as you said, Kian Haxbanovich is twenty three. Abada is twenty one. You know, there's not that much of a difference in in regards to their age it's not like there's a four or five year gap but um i, I do find fr- a bad a frustrating and, and i think it is to do with how good he can be and it's just that lack of consistency now we're not asking him to be an eight every week is like what what you always say alan you you kind of sum up pretty well we're not asking for eights every week but sixes would be good i think a bad kind of swings from nine star performances to three star performances where he's really really poor a level of consistency not asking for the world just you know in the medium sort of alan i think someone sent in a question the weekly last week and it, it genuinely was a great question um can you think of a player and of all your time watching celtic that leila Bada is similar to and just, I think the reason this feels like a unique issue and that Leila Bada's goal return is phenomenal for a winger as well, is absolutely phenomenal. But I think sometimes his overall game leaves a lot to be desired. And it does then put you in a difficult position because you think it doesn't, he looks like he's miles off it. But he scores, I mean, even this year when he's been in and out of the team, his goal return is exceptional. And it's, there isn't a player, I mean, I think Barry said Diamant's a camera, and I think that was maybe a wee, probably is the closest, but it's pretty unfair to Abada, because, yeah. you know, that he is, I, do, I can't think of another player who has been so productive, but maybe doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't have the same level of consistency as other players, and it, it does leave a challenge. The simple thing is, though, that the manager obviously feels that he wants to see a wee bit more, and 
I think over time, Daz is absolutely spot on. He is 21. He's very, very young. Um, and that will develop and hopefully that will learn and you'll smooth those rough edges. But um, as it's, it, the Avada debate will, I think, be here for a long time. Um, and he'll continue to make both sides look foolish at different points in the season, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, he's got 26 goals and 91 appearances. It's it's an incredible kind of return. But... 26 and 91. It's not as good as I thought, actually. Let's just edit out that last uh, three minutes, if you, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's um, let's have a, a kind of kind of overall kind of look at the game on on Saturday against us. We did a full reaction, which is available was available straight after, and it's a, on your RSS feed. It's uh, on the app and it's on the website. Um, Kieran, what did we learn from Saturday uh, in regards to the performance? Uh, Kobayashi is a Champions League quality <laughs> defender. Of course, of course. Um. um... Maybe half joking. Um, I think. I think, as as Alan was saying, well, no, you, you were saying as well. It just you were saying about how easy it looks, or just like just. I think it was a maybe one of the best examples this season of just how instinctive all the processes are in the yeah. system. Just the way the midfielders move when when the centre backs have the ball, the way the fullbacks just drift inside, the midfielders split wide. It's just so organic now. It, I just I just have these like torrid flashbacks to the first few weeks of Angie's time and it would just look so static. It would be McGregor moving and then he's yelling at, you know, one of the fullbacks to to come inside or one of the midfielders is not moving. And it just felt like at the beginning, which is under completely understandable because that's what it's like for any new team learning a new system. It just felt and now it is just so fluid the way we move the ball, the way that the players move without the ball the way that they create space for each other, they move into space. It just feels like such a well-oiled machine. And I think it's quite positive that you've got, you know, the likes of Haxabanovic, Moy, Johnston. Now, look, you know, I men- mentioned it before that maybe it was a little concerning how few of the signings from the summer or January had were getting regular starts or getting get regular football. I think, as you say, the, the cup final is maybe a bit of a, a turning point for that. Not just in terms of play, you know, Kobayashi has been is coming on now. Awata is coming on for far more minutes. He's coming a hell on the head of Turnbull. It just feels like a few these guys are being integrated in slowly, but they are getting much more game time now. You know, I think Johnston's looking more comfortable with inverted stuff than he had in the first few weeks and months. Moy looks sharper. Haxabanovic, you know, as I said earlier, he, he wasn't outstanding. He didn't contribute anything major, but he just looks like so. He look. He just fits well in the system in terms of how people move. The way he, I thought he worked really well with Taylor in the first half. Um, I just, yeah, I just think this is a team in its element, just playing really, really good football. There will be drop offs. We saw the drop offs in the first halves against Saint Bernard, even at Hearts at home. But I think it was just an example. Everybody is in the right gear. They understand each other really well, and I think that's what I took from it as well as is you know what. It is just a mark of the strength and depth now where we're, talk- we're talking about what you said earlier about how just because O'Reilly isn't starting ahead of those players doesn't mean he's badly out of form anything. He's playing well when he plays. Yeah. It's the same with when Awata comes on, with O come on. Those players, they're doing well. You know, O's not you're scoring bagged loads of goals or anything, but in terms of what he's contributing, I think he's been impressive. Um, he's still very raw, but I think there's a lot of talent there and there's a lot of talent to work with. And Awata just looks... He- Again, early days out of the Kobayashi, but it does look potentially like that player we we wanted. 
there was some some of the, the way he just read the game and broke up play at Tynecastle was it was just so natural, it was so easy for him. Like in this really what would be a really high pressure situation. Okay, we were two what two and up or three and up when he when he came on, but just the way he won the ball back and just kept the ball circulating, it's a really healthy place to be. You know, we've got a number of positions we want to strengthen in the summer, but when we've got you know, when players twelve to sixteen are coming on and the level is maintained and the level is a really high level, but also those players are all very young. They're all, I think, 25 or younger. That's a really exciting place to be in with your strength and depth because it's not, you know, it wasn't like last season where your players 12 to 16 are functional or they can do a job. They are players with a really good future and a, a really good ability ceiling as well. I think that's what I've took from it. That has been a, you know, yeah, Saturday, but also recent weeks has really suggested that the players we brought in and some of the players who are a little bit out of the picture, they still have plenty they can contribute to make sure we maintain our level. Excellent. Uh, Alan, yourself, you're kind of, uh, what did we learn? Yeah, I, I think I would probably just build on exactly that. I, I feel like it looks like we are starting to move on with our development. As Kieran says, players are coming off the bench and we're maintaining that level. I think we were nervous about the January signings or maybe recent signings because they weren't thrown in in the same way that players were in Andrew's first and second transfer windows. But the necessity maybe isn't there now to absolutely need someone like Matt O'Reilly to come in. And by the way, you're starting against Hearts on Wednesday, or sorry, Hearts on Saturday, and then you've got Rangers on Wednesday. You're going to play both games. You don't have that necessity now. We can kind of integrate guys in a little bit more easier and I feel like that as you're starting to see that now um, and Saturday was a that was just a real high point for that I think I'd probably I think I was really happy for Joe Hart on Saturday to actually have a big moment in the game because I think he has had a bit of a, not a tough time because we're winning games week on week and he's one of the 11 that contributes to that but I think he's not had that opportunity to maybe shine in the same way Um and you may be then questioning, does he have that ability at all? And it was nice to see him make what was a, a, a really, really smart save. Um, just nice to see him have that moment. And it's good to see even a really experienced player absolutely kicking off. It is contractually obliged that goalkeepers, when they make a good save, they must be angry um, or be annoyed. And I mean, they'd probably have every right in fairness, but I was... I think I was pretty chuffed for him. It was nice, actually. Saturday was good because I think a lot of guys that have kind of gone under the radar largely get a lot of credit and there was incremental improvements from other guys as well all over the team. So I think it was just exciting and all I could think after watching Saturday was, who's next? Um, and that's kind of the it's kind of the impression I've got at the moment. I'm quite excited for the last third of the season. Yeah, I feel exactly the same. Um, you know, the, the big thing is that we've only got one game left on Saturday against Hibs at home and then we've got this break and we're not back to the, the 2nd of April so um, you know with I know obviously we could be actually got that opportunity and he might get another opportunity on, on Saturday depending on you know if Starfelt's available or not um, but we just get one more wee kind of wee island that we have to kind of get over and then we can have a bit of a, a rest the squad can can get a bit of a, a bit of respite before we're back on April the 2nd um, here's what Ange Postacoglu had to say on the whole thing and you couldn't have got off to a much better start. Yeah, no, we, we started the game really strong. We knew we had to. Obviously, when you come to Tyne Castle, you don't want to get uh, 
their crowd up and about uh, too much. So um, boys did a really good job of starting the game strongly. You know, could have scored within the first uh, few minutes, and then uh, we got our goal. And I thought overall we really controlled the game well. You know, there was a couple of spells where, you know, as you'd expect them being the home team, they created a couple of things. Uh, Joe pulled off a great save, but yeah, football was pretty good. Aaron Moy scored a few important goals for you, hasn't it? It took him a while to get in the team. Now it's difficult to leave him out. Yeah, he's going well. As um, you know, it was no secret that you know he came in uh, in horsing parlance underdone. Uh, you know, he'd been in a paddock for a while, but uh, you know he, he looked after himself and he worked hard. And oh, look, I was under. I had no doubt that uh, once he got up and running and fit, and uh, he would be a key contributor. And he was. Uh, he was great. You were probably frustrated not to add to that first goal before you actually did, but then scoring just before half-time can be psychologically a big boost as well. Yeah, no, I wasn't frustrated. I think, for me, it's always how we're playing. And, and I thought, like I so said, we were controlling, we were creating chances. So, you know, for me, I get frustrated if, if we're not controlling the game or we, we go away from what we do. So, you know, whether we scored or not, I thought we were, you know, we had a good sort of important first 45 minutes away from home. But... As you said, getting the second goal just uh, gave us a big boost as well. Cameron Carter-Vickers sometimes sneaks under the radar in terms of his performances, quietly effective always. Uh, he got a goal today, which I guess puts him in the in the headlines, but I guess he's always in your headlines. I don't know about that. I'd, I'd say he's probably the best defender in the league, if anyone uh, disputes that. I'm happy to put up an argument. I don't think he goes under the, the radar at all. Uh, but he's... Um, Look, he's been an outstanding player for us for the last uh, 18 or so months. And, uh, you know, again, he's, he's a guy who's uh, constantly working hard at his game to improve. And, um, you know, great for him to get a goal today because, uh, you know, defenders love those kind of things. But it's what he does for us the other end that's really important. I'll take my life in my hands here and say that the fans were singing, we want the lot, um, the treble. Uh, is it in your sight? We've got hips next week, mate, and uh, that's, that's, that's what's in my sights. And uh, as boring as that may seem, um, you know, it, it seems to be working for us, so I'm not going to change that formula. That sounds like a good plan. Well done, Andrew. Thank you, mate. Sh- shut up, you idiot. <coughs> shut up. Not, not Ange, by the way. Absolutely not Ange Foster Cogley, but uh, I'm going to take my life in my hands here. <laughs> shut the fuck how, up. How close do you think Ange was to saying there? If anyone disputes that he's the best defender in the league, then I'll fight him. <laughs> that, he was very close then, and then he just thought, I'll put up an argument I'll against put it. Up an argument. Um, well, obviously, this was the Scottish Cup. Um, you know, the, there's talk of trebles. We've already got the League Cup in the bag. We've got a healthy kind of lead in, in, in the league as well. We don't want to kind of um, talk about that at, the, at this point because we are still only in March. But in regards to the Scottish Cup, um, obviously, we defeated Hearts and we've went through. Uh, Rangers won. Uh, Inverness one on I think was it Friday night I think they defeated yeah they defeated Kamarnock two goals to one as well so it's Inverness Rangers Celtic and it's one of Air or Falkirk here's the million dollar question do you want Rangers in the semi or do you want them in the final um Kieran Devlin um well, funnily enough, Inverness are going to pump them in the semi-final, so we won't have to play them. Um, and I can save myself some some new, uh, sleepless nights as a consequence. Uh, no, if it comes down to that, I'd prefer the semi-final. Because otherwise, you know, the, the League Cup final was bad enough. Scott, I don't know why, but I, I love the Scottish Cup. I love winning the Scottish Cup so much more than League Cup. I don't think there's like a rational explanation for it, but I just I just love it. So I think the, the 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 tension would be crippling. Um, so if we were to to lose in the semi final, I'd rather 
I think just for my own sake, I'd prefer to do it then than uh, give it. If we do win, you know, we win the league and we get to the cup final with them and the treble's running on the line against them. If we win, it would obviously be the best, one of the best moments this century. If we didn't, I'd go into hiding for about three weeks. So it's, uh, and as we know, I'm a complete shit bag. So I'd prefer the semi, the semi final option. You're not much of a gambler, Kieran, are you? You're not, much, you're not, you're not the sort of everything on red. Because, <laughs> so, okay. you know, I'm a, I'm a shite bag as well, but I'll be honest, the idea of winning a treble at Hamden in the Scottish Cup final, it fills me with, I just think that's a massive opportunity. Alan, what about you? What's your thoughts? I know it might sound a bit boring, mate, but my focus is just on Hibs next Saturday. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry about that. It's been working well for myself. Um, I had this discussion yesterday and I said the semi-final, which is probably the correct rational answer. Yeah. 24 hours has passed though and I'm thinking right we've done a lot of trebles over the last few years trebles nice done that done it consecutively a treble having won the league and both finals against Rangers at Hamden is Huge. that would be the king of the trebles I don't know um, I mean it's, it's pretty good when you're ranking your favourite trebles <laughs> of the last five years but um, I that, you know Whoever we get, whoever we get. Um, the rational answer probably is the semi-final, but the slight element of risk in the king of trebles is intriguing me. So um, I'll, I'll stick a wee... I'll, I'll put my marker down for that. Why not? You've really uh, copyrighted that name, haven't you? The king of trebles. <laughs> That's the new CC Alan Edgar, um, the king of trebles. <laughs> I'm happy to take suggestions on that, though. Um, if there's a... There probably is a better title. But, I mean, it would be... I mean two domestic cup final wins against Rangers and a league win by quite some margin against Rangers. I think if you go to the Scottish Cup final, you're going to get a double tucked away. It maybe gives you that slight kind of, that's, you know. We were, you know um, we've done the main business of the season, so I don't know. We were, remember Alan, for the League Cup final when we were sitting in Bowd's house, which is right beside Hamden, and we were all just kind of, all that kind of nervous energy just buzzing around the, 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 mm. the house. Uh, can you imagine that for the Scottish Cup final against them? For the treble, incredible. Um, mm, I don't think Bowdo will have me back in his house again, to be honest, uh, for, for the next Scottish Cup final. So, um, good luck to you. I don't know if Bowdo will have you back in his house again, just in general. Um, no, no, it's a shame. Lovely stuff. This is the agenda, uh, which drops every Monday. That's what you're listening to currently. Um, here's what we've got for the week. Tomorrow, we've got the review, as we uh, we do every Tuesday with Graham and uh, Christian. On Wednesday, Celtic FC women, uh, they won in Edinburgh against Hibs two goals to nil yesterday. It was a really entertaining game of football. Myself and Claire were there. Uh, that will be talked and discussed about on the Celtic Women's Football Show. And the post, I'm being led to believe the post-split fixtures because the women's uh, game has been incorporated into the S, uh, SPFL and so they're doing a split now, um, just the same as the men. So that will... Oh, are they out already? So the first game is Rangers away. Fuck. What, Monday? 27th of, 27th of March? Okay, sorry, this will all be covered in the Celtic Women's Football Show, uh, but we're getting live updates uh, from Claire. So the fixtures are out and the first game's against Rangers away, which is uh, interesting. So yeah, that's on Wednesday. Uh, Claire and Lorenzo will be talking through everything. Uh, Thursday we'll have the Cynic Weekly, as we always do, with uh, myself, uh, Alan and uh, Chris Armani. Friday we've got the weekend update. On Saturday we'll have the reaction to the Hibs game, as always. And on Sunday we've got a new episode of Starting Eleven. So listen out for that. This has been a joy. This has been fantastic, as always, setting us up for the week, as we do. Um, 
Alan Edgar, pleasure as always, sir, and we'll, we'll, we'll hear from you down the road. Perfect. Have a, have a lovely weekend. Oh. Lovely stuff. Uh, Kieran Devlin, uh, as always, uh, Kobayashi for president. Uh, speak to you soon. Pleasure's all mine and Kobayashi's. <laughs> ah, it's getting a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, from Alan <laughs> Edgar, from Kieran Devlin, from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been The Agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road.